told Spencer earlier, like, we can't lose today. Like, like we've already won, right? I mean, you, you just see their, their, their smiles, you see their joy, um, and uh, they lead us in, in worship like no other. And uh, man, what a, what a fantastic morning. Uh, a reminder, all the kids in the room, you know, uh, young on up, you can, you can head back if, you, if a parent wants to escort you back. Um, they'll, they'll, you can do that, and they'll get checked in, and they're going to take some time to talk together in small groups today about the importance of family and the importance of the church and how uh, that influences their lives and how they can influence one another's lives. And uh, my name's Todd. I get to serve as the campus pastor here at our Port Clinton campus, and uh, this, it's one of my favorite mornings of the whole year is when we have an orange moment. And I uh, want to give you guys a few uh, next step opportunities um, if you're newer to the chapel. In fact, if, if over the last, you know, even couple months, you've been new and maybe you filled out a connect card or you did a text in as a guest, hopefully you already have been invited um, to our our second glance that's happening today after the last service of the morning. And uh, even, if the, even if you didn't receive an invite, I want you to know if you're newer, or you've never got really had a chance to meet some of the staff members or hear a little bit more about our vision and our values and, and how to get more connected, um, I want you to know you're invited. It's going to happen today after the 1030 service, so about 1130, 1145, uh, just down the Chapel Kids hallway. You'll see a TV screen with some signage for a second glance and just pop in there, um, 20 minutes, half hour tops, and it's just a time to to meet some people and connect and, and hear a little bit more about how you, our mission here is to help people move one step closer. And so it's an opportunity to hear about ways that, that maybe maybe you could take a next step in your own faith journey, a next step in your journey here with us at, um, as a chapel family. And uh, so you are invited, all right? Also, tomorrow night is a very special event for all parents uh, called Celebrate Calm, uh, special guest speaker, Kirk Martin, and uh, that's happening at the Sandusky location. Everybody is invited. You don't have to pre-register for this event, so you can just show up tomorrow evening at the Sandusky location at 6 p.m. There's not child care for this event because we have so many parents that are coming out, so make it a date night, make plans. Um, gosh, get a, get a sitter early, come over, do dinner, um, and then, you know, a little little date night, uh, but for you parents, this is going to be a great um, opportunity to just grow as a parent, uh, to learn how to be a calm and Christ-centered uh, parent. And then for all the married couples and couples in the room, even if you're just engaged, uh, you are invited. Our Marriage Matters Ministry is put, puts on its monthly event. This is the last one for the school year, and Cinco de Mayo is coming up. So man, salsa and nachos and I guess salsa lessons, like I don't know. I'm not going to try to do it. Um, Lisa would, she would say, Todd, just stick to your simple, you know. Um, but Friday, May 5th, um, we do want you to register for that event. There is complimentary child care as well for that event. Um, just a, a fun date night. Um, I think it's a nacho bar potluck. I mean, so, I mean, you had me at nachos. And uh, just come to register. Text the word love to the number that's on the screen. All the information, um, second glance, uh, this event, uh, calm parenting, it's all in the worship program that you received when you came in. And so uh, if, if you didn't catch all the announcements, that's okay. Just look there and you'll know how to get connected and take next steps, all right? So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to play a little game of Family Feud. And I wish I, you know, like cue music and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't 
you know, tell the sound people in time. Uh, Family Feud, and I want us to think about the question. This was a question actually featured on Family Feud, and it features the top seven worst things that could happen at a wedding celebration. So talk to your neighbor just for a second. Like, what's one of the worst things that you could imagine happening at a wedding celebration? Go talk to your neighbor. Look, we got a little background music. All right, all right, here we go. Let's see if any of your answers show up in the top seven worst things. Number number seven, a parent objects. Like, oh my gosh, nightmare. I mean, the days of, you know, of, of as the pastor saying, and if anybody objects to this union, like, I don't even say that anymore. Like, that's too risky. Like, somebody's going to stand up and speak. Somebody's going to say something like, no, no. Uh, we're in it now. Okay, uh, number six, bad weather. Bad weather, especially so many outdoor weddings now. I mean, people, they don't want to get married in the church. They want to be like on a farm, some rusty wooden building that looks like it's going to fall in or whatever. And yet, it's, it's, it's all the rage. This is what people do. Uh, but bad weather, oh, number five, a missing ring. And not just the joke, like, you know, when the best man's like, I don't know where it's at, you know, and then he pulls it out. No, like, legit missing ring. Uh, been there, done that, some of you, right? Okay, uh, number four, the guests cancel. Now, uh, this one, I perplexed me. I'm like, who said that? Like, literally, are all the guests going to cancel? Like, if we lose a few here and there, I mean, but I guess depending on how much you pl- paid per plate, though, for the reception, like, you're like, that's wasted money. That was, that was $30 for just the dad. And then $30 for the mom that didn't show up with them. And then their two kids that they said they were going to have. And yeah, so and number three, the dress doesn't fit. Oh, man. Uh, they, yeah, that would be, be bad. I, I saw, I mean, I've been part of a lot of wedding ceremonies, obviously, as a pastor. And um, I have seen it where the groom's suit didn't fit. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was kind of a disaster. Number two, ooh, the ex shows up. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, you know, number one worst thing that could happen, the bride or groom doesn't show up. Um, yeah. It, wow. Well, and yeah. So worst thing. So today we're in, a, we're in a series in the Gospel of John. You're like, okay, Todd, where are you going with this? In John chapter 2, we come across a grand wedding scene. And in John chapter 2, something happens at this wedding that in, in the time of Jesus, when this happened, it would have been worse than all of the other things that we just mentioned. In fact, uh, one Bible commentator, uh, Meryl Tenney, says, in the closely knit communities of Jesus' day, such an error would never be forgotten and would haunt the newly married couple all of their lives. So the question is, what is it? What happened at this wedding? Well, we're going to find out in just a few minutes. All right, it's John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If, if you brought your Bible with you, I applaud you. Just open it up there. That's where we're going to camp out the entire time and look at this incredible wedding scenario, scene, and almost a tragedy, all right? And it says, the next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee, 
and Jesus' mother was there. All right, so a few things. It's in, in this village of Cana in Galilee. Galilee was like the main region that when Jesus stepped onto the scene where he was very actively doing ministry, he was teaching, preaching, healing. Um, but, but what we're going to come across today is his absolute first miracle where he shows his power and his glory to the onlooking world. And it says that there was this wedding celebration going on. Now, weddings are a big deal. Wedding, there's lots of planning. There's lots of expenses. I'm already thinking about this because I have two young adult daughters, which, by the way, they're cute, former cheerleaders. If any of you young guys, as long as you love Jesus um, and you love my daughter. Okay, so, so anyway, let me tell you, though, wedding celebrations during Jesus' day, especially a Jewish wedding celebration, it was a huge event. In fact, uh, the wedding celebration itself sometimes would last multiple days. And really, in Jewish weddings, there was kind of uh, two main parts. First, there was the betrothal period. And the betrothal period, what would happen was, uh, would be uh, if, if you had a daughter, uh, the, 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 the potential groom and his family would come and approach you. They would ask your permission. Thank you very much. Like, let's keep doing that. Um, and here, get this. They would give you money for your daughter. Like, they would give you money, like a large sum of money or like a very significant gift. Um, and I'm thinking, how did we ever get away from this? I have two daughters, like, this sounds awesome to me. Oh, you want to marry my daughter? Number one, come over to my house. Number two, ask me my permission. Number three, give me money. <laughs> Bring me some, like, okay, so, so somewhere along the lines, and sorry, tangent here, but like uh, growing up, I always knew that like the, the bride's parents are the ones that foot the bill. Now, I think it's shifting and changing, and I'm grateful for that. But like, if this is how it was back then, I get it, because the groom's parents just gave you a whole bunch of money. Now you just turn around, reinvest that in the marriage for your daughter, right? So this sounds good. So the betrothal period, though, it was like um, that first agreement and commitment. And really, uh, at that point, legally, they were binded. In fact, that's why when Mary, uh, Jesus's mother, got pregnant and it says that Joseph thought about giving her a certificate of divorce, they were just in the betrothal period still. And yet it was that kind of commitment, which, and then came the wedding celebration, okay, um, which was like the, 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 the formal thing. It would become official in the eyes of everyone, and then the grand party, and the celebrating, and the feasting, and the eating, and the dancing. And, and, and during the betrothal period, the, the, the girl would stay living, even though she was like committed to her future husband, and like it was pretty much like a locked-in deal, she still stayed at her parents' house until the big wedding celebration. And I'm like, again, let's do this. Like, okay, pay me a whole bunch of money for my daughter, and then you have to wait until I say it's okay to have the actual celebration. She still gets to live in our house and stay with us. Like, this is sounding great. <laughs> So, so this was a huge deal. And it says that Jesus' mother, Mary, was at this celebration. 
Now, lots of people would have been invited, but it seems that there was something special about Mary because of what we'll read later in the text where, I mean, she's, she like finds out some inside news at the party, and then she's like giving directions, like telling the servants that are there to serve at the party what to do. It's almost like she, she's got this role. Maybe she was a close family friend of the couple that was being married. Maybe she was like serving as the wedding coordinator or something. I don't know. But it says that Jesus' mother was there. And then verse 2, I think, is so significant. It says, and Jesus and his disciples, they were also invited to the celebration. I love this. Sometimes I think we get this picture of Jesus that like, he was just all the time preaching and teaching and healing and being holy. And, and yet, Jesus took on human flesh. He was a real human being. Like, I think Jesus laughed. I think Jesus celebrated. I think, of all things, a wedding celebration. God who ordained marriage as a gift to humanity. I think, I think Jesus loved a celebration, a party. And I think it's significant that Jesus and his disciples get invited to this party. Because, I mean, it was going to be a lavish celebration. There was going to be wine. There was going to be food. There was going to be dancing. And yet, they invited Jesus. Like They weren't like, uh-oh, don't invite Jesus. I mean, he's going to, I don't want him to see me dancing. I mean, you know, uh, I don't want him to see me drinking. I don't, like, they weren't worried about Jesus being a party pooper. And sometimes I think we look at life that way, like, oh, man, you know, don't, don't let Jesus into this part. And yet it leads me to a, a life lesson, our first life lesson for this morning. That is that you can invite Jesus into every part of your life every part, <laughs> and especially our marriages. Uh, Spurgeon said it this way. He said, Jesus comes to a marriage and he gives his blessing there that we may know that our family life is under his care. Guys, Jesus wants to be involved in every part of our life, in your work, in your, in your family life, in your get-togethers, in your vacations, uh, 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 in your friendships, in your hobbies. We, we, we can invite Jesus into every part of our life. But this leads us to the big debacle, the big issue, the big problem at this particular wedding celebration. Verse 3 says, but the wine supply ran out during the festivities. Now, this was a big deal. This, this would have, I mean... It would have been a huge social issue that would have marked this couple. Probably this couple was not well-to-do. Maybe they were poor. And, and the wine, it says, runs out. And wine, it was like the normal drink of the day. And, and there was an expectation, I mean, especially because of the large gathering, all the people that would have gathered, all the people that would have even traveled from distant places to come, and then you don't have enough food or you don't have enough drink it would have marked your life. Like this young couple, um, they would have been known as that couple. Oh, remember their wedding? You know, they, they didn't even have enough for everybody. And so there's this big issue, this big problem. And maybe not as much, I mean, of course, we would be embarrassed too. Like you, have you ever like had people over and then you realize you didn't have enough of what you needed and like you're, you're, you're sending your husband like, go to the store now. Like, you know, we need more of this or, you know, whatever. But like in this day, in this culture, this would have been a huge thing. 
this, this couple from the very first day of the rest of their lives together would have been marked. And so what does it say happens? So Jesus' mother, remember she's there, and remember Jesus and his disciples, they're there, and says, so Jesus' mother told Jesus, hey Jesus, they have no more wine. So, so Jesus' mom brings the problem to Jesus. He says, there's a problem here. And, and why? Why did she take it to Jesus? I mean, maybe she thought, well, Jesus is the only one in the room with the power and the ability to do something about this. Maybe she thought, well, surely Jesus, like his compassion and care for people, he's going, he'll do something about this. He'll figure something out. Maybe she realized, hey, I know that Jesus, my boy Jesus, he likes to, he likes to celebrate. He's, he's here to, to, to join the celebration, and, and he's not going to want to see the party end early because there's a lack of food or drink. I think this leads us to another really important life lesson, that whatever it is, whatever it is, we should take it to Jesus. It's our, it's our, it's our number one core value here at the, the chapel, to depend on God, to be people of prayer, that, that no matter what it is, even if it's that the wine ran out, and what is the wine in your life? You know what I mean? What, what is it that, that you're going through? What is it that you're facing? What problem? What predicament are you in? What strain relationship is there? And you're like, I don't even know what to do. Well, just whatever it is, take it to Jesus. And that's what, that's what Mary seeks to do. She's modeling for us uh, what it means not to just go to your son to be like, hey, buddy, uh, you know, the, the car broke down. Can you come over and fix it? Or, oh, hey, can you help me hook up the laptop to the TV for this other thing? Just whatever it is, take it to Jesus. But then look at Jesus' response. It's kind of interesting and um, disconcerting because he says, dear woman, he says, that's not our problem. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> like, what are you coming to me for? And, and, and Jesus is right. This wasn't her problem. It wasn't his problem. It was the responsibility of the bride and the groom and the family to provide for the guests. And so it wasn't Jesus' problem. But when we read this, we're like, it sounds cold, doesn't it? I mean, he doesn't, he, it's not even like he's like, mom, <laughs> you know, he's like, dear woman. Listen, woman, not my problem. Like, <laughs> it's interesting, though, uh, one Bible commentator says that this is so far from being a rough and discourteous way of address. In fact, it was a title of respect. He writes, we have no way of speaking in English which exactly renders it, but it's better to translate lady, which at least gives the courtesy in it. Now, what's, what's significant here is Jesus, he doesn't call her mom, which he could have. He calls her dear woman or dear lady. And it is a term of respect. And I think two things are happening here. Number one, Jesus is reminding his mom Number one, this isn't our problem. This was their responsibility. But number two, he's reminding uh, Mary, his mom, that his relationship with her is about to shift. It's moving from, from son and mother to savior and master. And when, Jesus, when, when Mary comes and makes this request of Jesus, I think it's 
Jesus is reminding his mom, like, Mom, I love you, dear woman, but this, you're asking me to do a miracle. That's what she was asking because then he says, my time has not yet come. I think it was, he was saying, my time's not yet come to like reveal my glory and my power to people. And you're asking something that, honestly, I think what Jesus was saying was, I don't take order from, from my mom, I take orders from my father. And Jesus hadn't checked in with his heavenly father yet on what he was supposed to do about the predicament, the problem at the wedding. And and I think about other things that John himself wrote about Jesus. And, And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the son of man can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. See, Jesus, he took his orders still as a human being in human flesh from his heavenly father, just like you and I are to take our marching orders to check in with the father to say, what am I supposed to do about this problem? He lived in dependence upon his father, just like you and I are called to live in dependence. In John 5, 30, the second part of the verse, Jesus says these words, I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. So I think Jesus was saying to his mom, listen, dear woman, this is not our problem, and it's, it's not my time yet. And I'm not here to just do whatever I want to do or whatever you want me to do. I'm here to do the will of the one that sent me. But then it's interesting, Mary's response. Jesus doesn't say, well, here, I'm going to do something about the problem. He, he doesn't say what the solution is going to be. But look at Mary's response. It says, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. I mean, we don't have a record of of Jesus whispering to his mom, don't worry, mom, I got this. I'll take care of this. Like, Jesus just says, this is not my problem, and it's not yet my time. She makes her request, but then she trusts Jesus with whatever his response is going to be which is a life lesson for every single one of us. And she says to the servants, this is where it's like wedding coordinator or something. I mean, she just, she barks the order. She's like, do whatever he tells you, which is, which is great advice for every single one of us. Look what happens next. <laughs> it says, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies. And then look at what it says. So the servants followed his instructions. Remember, Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then Jesus gives some some orders, some guidelines, some guidance. And what he says to them, it sounds kind of crazy. Like if you're the servants and they're out of wine and you know that that's the problem and Jesus says, hey, those jars over there, fill them up with water. I mean, if I'm the servant, I'm like, Jesus, um, they're going to notice. Like, uh, I mean, they haven't had enough yet to not notice. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 and yet they followed his instructions. This could have seemed crazy. And remember, 
this is going to be Jesus' first recorded miracle. It's not like there was even a track record where, they were, where the servants were like, oh, that's Jesus, isn't it? You know, I've heard about all the, the miracle things that he's done, so, oh, I know what he's getting at. He's going to let us in on a miracle. No, there hadn't been any public miracles, so to speak, at this point. And so they're just, well, they're just doing what Jesus tells them to do, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing that Jesus is inviting them to participate in the first recorded miracle in God's word by Jesus himself. It's a great reminder. It's a great life lesson. No matter what, no matter what, do what Jesus says, even if it doesn't make sense, even if, if it seems surreal, even if it, it doesn't line up with, you know, what everybody at the office is telling you to do, but you know deep in your heart that this is whatever it is, that this is what Jesus is telling you to do, whatever he's telling you to do. And that, listen, that will always be amplified by the truth of his word. It will always line up with the truth of scripture. So it's not like, oh, Jesus told me to, you know, buy a Lamborghini tomorrow, Lisa. So, I mean, he told me, so I have to do what he told me to do. I mean, unless I find a verse uh, and reference, you know, for where it says Todd Nielsen deserves a Lamborghini, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't just make assumptions. But whatever it is, do what Jesus says. This is the life of being a Christ follower. It's, it's, it's surrender and obedience, no matter what. And because you never know what saying yes to Jesus might let you in on. These servants, they didn't know what was about to happen. He just says, listen, get the water, fill it up, and take, take it and give a, give a taste to the master of ceremonies. Now look at what happens. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that now was wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants, they knew, he called the bridegroom over. He says to him, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. And then when everyone's had a lot to drink, then he brings out the less expensive wine. Like, bring out the good stuff first, impress the people, and then you can give them the cheaper stuff later on. Remember, these were celebrations that sometimes lasted days. And yet, the master of ceremony says to the host, but you have kept the best until now. And it leads me to my last life lesson for us. And that is this, that if Jesus is in it, then the best is yet to come. If Jesus is in it, the best is yet to come. Jesus saves the best for last. I don't know who in this room, if you're like me, you're banking on that. You need to hear that. The best is yet to come. God's up to something. He's going to do something that you did not expect. He's got something planned that's better than what you anticipate. And the best is yet to come. If Jesus is in it, the best is yet to come. In verse 11, it says, This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory. And it says, And his disciples 
believed in him. Well, didn't they already believe in him? Yes, they believed in him. And yet the word here where it says believes in him, it, it, the, the word is literally, and they believed into him. Like they believed deeper into Jesus because they saw his power. They saw his care and compassion for this poor couple that ran out at their own wedding and they believe. Remember, John writes in, at the end of John chapter 20, I've, I've written all these things so that you may, what? Believe. That's what it's always all about. It's pointing to belief in Jesus. And, Jesus. and he says, this is the first miraculous sign. The word there, literally sign, it's like a, a pointer. And so the question is, what is this miracle? The miracle was not a miracle just for the sake of doing a miracle. It was a sign. It was meant to point us to something and to point the people at this wedding and in that community to something. So what is it? What does this miracle point us to? I think three, uh, four things. Number one, it points us to the fact, this is so dumbfounding. Remember, remember Jesus' comment to Mary? Woman, dear woman, that is not our problem. But, but the, what this points us to is the fact that Jesus will do something about our problem even if it's not his problem. You guys, many of us in this room, you know, we've gotten into a problem of our own. It's called our own sin, our own selfishness. And because of that sin and selfishness, we're separated from the God that loves us and created us. And there's no solution that we can come up with to fix that. We have a problem. The people that you work with, they have, well, you already know that. They've got a problem. Right? It's bigger than their attitude or, you know, that they're not very hardworking or, you know, whatever it might be. Humanity has a problem and it's our problem. It's not Jesus' problem. It's not God's problem. We're the ones that went astray. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, God's word says. And our sins, Isaiah says, have cut us off from God. It's our problem. And yet God loves us so much that he will do something about our problem even though it's not his problem. He makes our problem his own problem, and says they can't do anything about their problem, and so I am going to do something for them that they could not do for themselves. Isn't that good news? That's good news. The second thing this miracle points us to is the fact that Jesus is all about transformation. Think about it. The very first miracle that Jesus does is a miracle of transformation, changing water into wine. Which says, if Jesus can do that, he can change me. He can change you. He can change your marriage. He can change your work situation. He can change your kids' lives. It, it, it doesn't matter how far gone we are, how much we've blown it. Jesus is in the business of transformation, of, of making all things new, of correcting what is wrong of forgiving sin, of healing, of hope. It points to the fact that Jesus is all about transformation. Number three, it points to the fact that Jesus' glory, because remember it says his glory had not yet been revealed up to this point. It shows us that his glory is actually in his compassion, in his humility, in his generosity. 
I mean, why the miracle? Well, it's out of compassion. This young couple coming together and getting ready to spend the rest of their lives together, and they're going to, if Jesus doesn't do something, their, their lives are going to be marked with disdain. And Jesus, out of compassion, says, I'll take care of this. I don't want them to have to go through that. I'll take care of this. <laughs> and, and his humility. I mean, we don't, in the rest of the story, at least as recorded, we don't even know if the word really got out that Jesus was the one that changed. We, heck, we don't even know if, the, if the, the, um, the bridal party or the, you know, the groom's parents or the bride's parents knew that they had run out of wine. It shows Jesus incredible humility. He shows this miraculous sign. This It's kind of like behind the scenes. Here, let me take care of this. Now, servants, hey, you go out there and get serving the wine. And it shows Jesus' generosity. You know that, um, remember, remember the, the, the big jugs of water and how many gallons each and whatever? You know that um, if, if they were all filled to the brim, which we believe they were, it would have been 908 bottles of wine that Jesus created. And remember what the master of the ceremony said, it was the good stuff. The glory of Jesus is in his compassion, it's in his humility, and it's in his lavish, lavish generosity. And finally, this miracle, it points to an even greater wedding feast and celebration. It's interesting that John, the writer of this gospel, also had a vision of the future, a vision of heaven. And it's called the book of Revelation. (laughs) And in the book of Revelation, it speaks of another grand wedding celebration. John writes, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. Listen to this. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, the wedding feast of Jesus himself and his bride, which is the church, people that have put their faith and hope in Jesus as Savior, and his bride has prepared herself. Verse 9 says, And an angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words that come from God. You guys, the first miracle of Jesus, the first miracle of transformation, it, it was at a wedding, it was a feast, it was a grand celebration. And that first miracle points to the final day when we as followers of Jesus will meet Jesus face to face. Jesus, our groom, will come for us, the bride, and we will be united with him forever and ever and ever, and there will be a feast and a celebration that never stops, that never runs out. And so it's a reminder to all of us, you guys, no matter what's happening in your life today, if Jesus is in it, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can have hope in you. Jesus, thank you for your incredible humility and obedience to your Father. Thank you that you didn't even use your power for yourself. You used it for the sake of others under the guidance from your heavenly Father. And Jesus, we're, we're marked by your love and compassion and humility and power and transformation. Jesus, you did it then. 
We pray that you would do it in our lives more and more as we yield to you. Help us be like the servants that just did whatever you told them to do. It's in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen. Hey, don't forget, we have our second glance um, after the second service today. If you want to join us, have a great rest of your weekend. Go hug on some kids out there, okay?